Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Roel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you, our listeners, from Los Angeles to Long Island, make your second half of life even better than the first. Every year, millions of consumers are affected by fraud and scams, especially older Americans. These incidents have been growing at an alarming rate and have assumed a troubling variety of creative schemes, identity theft, lottery or sweepstakes scams, phone scams like callers pretending they're with the IRS, Social Security, customer service representatives from Amazon, or one of your grandchildren in distress who urgently needs money. The Federal Trade Commission estimates the cost of financial fraud reached nearly $6 billion last year. And the real cost is likely much higher because many victims are too embarrassed to come forward and report the incidents. But you don't have to be a victim. In today's episode, Kathy Stokes, Director of Fraud Prevention Programs with ARP, talks about her mission to educate older adults about the risks of fraud and what they can do about it. A widely recognized expert in consumer fraud and scams, Kathy will describe how her team has been expanding ARP's leadership in this arena including the creation of a new victim support program and a multi-year campaign to end gift card scams. Besides offering some strategies to help people protect themselves, she'll talk about the formation of a national effort to fundamentally transform how we as a society need to address consumer fraud. In fact, a major study by ARP with another partner found that our victim-blaming culture exacerbates the deep sense of shame and low self-esteem felt by financial fraud victims, shifting the focus away from perpetrators and allowing these horrific crimes to flourish. But these practices can shift, and Kathy explains how AARP and their partners are seeking to engage government and financial institutions, law enforcement, the media, and the general public to fundamentally change how victims of financial fraud are treated. So now let's meet our guest, Kathy Stokes. Kathy, welcome to the show. Ron, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a real pleasure, Kathy. I mean, this is such an important topic um, and we're going to dive into it. But before we do, actually, I just wanted to, for the benefit of our our audience, uh, you know, uh, talk about your journey a little bit. You know, you you have you're passionate about what you do now, but um, almost all of my guests have very interesting journeys that arrive at the place they are now. But, you know, the, you know, their, their earlier life and, and midlife informs where they are now. So just just give us a little bit of background about how you got to where you are now. Yeah, sure. So I, uh, I had grown up in Pittsburgh and went to school at the University of Pittsburgh. And uh, when I was graduating, there wasn't a lot going on economically there. And so I was looking for the next big city that I could uh, stake my claim and Washington, D.C. ended up being it. And after a couple of years as a basically a junior lobbyist for a trade association, I got really interested in healthcare policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was traveling around um, listening to Hillary Clinton and others talk about uh, single payer, and it had an effect on the trade association I was working with. So I, you know, got to go and listen to all this, and ended up taking a job at a place called the Employee Benefit Research Institute in health policy, and. Literally the day after I was hired and started, my boss, the president, came in. He said, no, I'm going to have you do pensions Hmm. instead of health. And I'm like, well, first of all, what's a pension, right? (laughs) You know, I'm in my 20s. And I'm like, what? 
And I was, it was daunting, but the more I learned about it as a, as a public policy issue and as a practical issue, I got really passionate about it because at that time and continuing since then, you know, we've moved away from a traditional pension to a do-it-yourself pension with a 401k type of plan. And there are a lot of, of um, challenges that come with that. And so I ended up going to Johns Hopkins part-time when I was back then, and I did my uh, master's program in American government, and I wrote my thesis on retirement income policy and what the changes to this paradigm would mean. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my passion. Yeah. And I thought I would never have, I'd be never more interested in an issue. And then my career moved along and I went into the private sector and we were, I was working for one of the big accounting firms and we were doing financial literacy programs for big corporate clients who um, had 401k plans and other plans and, and the employees didn't appreciate what they had. So we were there to try to help them understand it and take advantage. Um, and that sort of moved into like this whole world of financial security, retirement security, did my own business for 10 years, consulting on communication, mostly around financial education, financial security, ended up at AARP going on seven years ago in a different role and got the opportunity to be an interim lead on this new education program, old program, new for education called the Fraud Watch Network. And I found my next passion. You know, I went from helping, trying to help employees understand the benefits of saving for retirement to helping people in retirement understand the very real risk that they face in terms of financial insecurity if they engage with scams. We know some of the horror stories, right? So that's been my job for the last, since uh, 2018. And uh, I've loved building it and working with the team I have, and we're all very passionate about this. That's great. That's great. You know, it's interesting too, for, as you're talking about, you know, financial literacy, because, you know, this is something that fits broadly in that category that people should know about, you know, and uh, so we're, and and I'm an ARP volunteer, so I work with advocacy. I'm not not an employee, but, um, you know, it's become clear that these issues really are intergenerational. And the earlier we get to people, on issues of general financial literacy, including scams, the better we all are, because um, we know, uh, as, as as you and I have talked before, um, yes, so we look at the older Americans and financial scams and frauds, but I think one of the first narrative, narratives that you talk about is just sort of exploding that, it, yes, it does affect you know the elderly, but it can affect anyone, right? I think that's something we really need to really just get right out there. Well, I think that we have sort of had in our history in the United States, um, whether it's from rugged individualism or, you know, uh, a bias that it's going to happen to you, but not to me, mm-hmm. um, that we, we make assumptions about fraud victimization. And a lot of it also has to do with how it's portrayed in the media and TV shows and movies, um, but that it's always the older adult um, that is being targeted. And if we can assume that, then we younger people, we kind of tend to give fraud a pass. Oh, well, you know, that victim uh, suffer, suffering dementia or wasn't tech savvy or, you know, too nice to, to hang up the phone on a scammer. None of this is the reality. When you look at the data that we do have about fraud and who is most affected by it, younger adults report experiencing fraud and losing money way more often. Mm than older adults. But when the older adult is the victim, they lose so much more. 
and they lose it at a time when they're least capable of financial recovery. And folks, we need to know if we lose money in, in, in a fraud, in a scam, we're highly likely not getting that money back. So if you have a tech support scam experience when you're 25 and you lose $800, that's terrible. But you're 25 and you've lost $800 and you have time to make up for that. Right. If you're 85 and you've lost $80,000 to an online scam, there's nothing for you to do to make up for that. So that's why it's so important uh, looking at the adult, older adults, even though all of us are in that space where we can be targeted at any time, it's the significant risk of significant financial loss to the older adult who can't go back into the workforce and try to make it up. Right, right. And, and that said, there is there is some targeting by scammers, right? Because it it's like that old saying, they go where the money is. They know that older people have more money. So there is some targeting in that sense, as yeah, well I mean, as the impact. Absolutely. There's targeting based on a whole range of demographics and scammers know that where the money is, is in uh, uh, the older population. If you look at um, uh, baby boomers and silent generation, we're talking 70% of U.S. wealth is in those two generations. So, of course, when they have the opportunity and they've got the right list, they're going to target older adults. Right, right. And I think that there's been some um, indication that... uh, I guess partly, you know, there's some uh, impact from COVID, right? And, and the fact, again, uh, not necessarily older people, but a lot of older people who are more isolated uh, during, you know, the pandemic and uh, in general, um, you know, are, are susceptible to uh, perhaps occasionally more susceptible to uh, online scams. Uh, you know, they're there by themselves, some calls. They may take a call as opposed to a younger person saying, I'm, I'm not taking this call. <laughs> but um, uh, and, and, you know, a little bit of um, uh, just uh, civility, like, OK, I'll listen to people and see what they have to say. And before they know it, um, they're caught up in it. And uh, we're we're uh, we find ourselves, um, uh, uh, you know, all of a sudden in undue pressure. And, and I say ourselves because I found myself in this situation, too. So. No, none of us is is um, uh, immune to this sort of uh, you know entra- entrapment, really. And during COVID, it's it's actually kind of a numbers game. Um, scammers came out of the woodwork because they had so many opportunities to come out of the woodwork. We had um, money coming out of the federal government for a whole range of things, whether it was you know stimulus and people were getting the pay the, the checks. It was the Paycheck Protection Act. It was additional unemployment benefits. And the criminals were going where the money was. And when you have uh, so many um, news headlines over this period of time involving economic insecurity or involving, you know, when you can get your your shot or when you how you can protect yourself from COVID. So a lot of the scams came out around COVID. And um, so there was more out there. So there were more of us um, engaged with it. And you're right. I mean, older people, everyone was spending more time doing things differently online. Um, so a lot of us learned about P2P payments, uh, peer-to-peer like uh, Cash App and Venmo for the first time. Right. Um, and you know, working from home or engaging on, uh, on Zoom or some other uh, media to, to talk to your family. Um, so it just made that much more likely that we were gonna see more fraud and we did. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, uh, you know, when, when you, you just spend so much more time on the computer that there was, uh, you know, kind of a, 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 a unsuspecting familiarity with it. And you'd sort of dropped your guard. So much stuff happened online that I think we did have a tendency to drop our guard and something happened. Um, often too, uh, you know, we, we didn't report it. Um, now some of that, um, as uh, we pointed out, is that I think people, um, including people like myself, feel kind of embarrassed. Like, oh, well, how did I fall for that? But there are other reasons too, just in terms of the difficulty of reporting it, right? I mean. Well, I think a lot of people don't even know where to report. So that's, that's a challenge. Another is if you, let me just say um, fraud, scams, this is a crime. It's not a civil matter and not just a civil matter. And we've gotten away from that reality um, over the past many decades. And so when a person um, experiences fraud, first of all, they have to understand that it's a crime. Mm-hmm. And then they have to call the police and try to convince the police officer who answers the phone that it's a crime. Because quite often what we hear from the victim is, I called the police and told them I was a victim of a romance fraud. And you know, I ended up losing $40,000 after I gave these gift cards over. And the police will be like, well, you gave them your money willingly. So no, it's not a crime. Um, or, you know, call the FBI it's a, or it's a civil matter. And people just kind of get shot down. Um, so that's one big thing that we're looking to change is sort of let's, let's go back and remind everybody this is a crime and it needs to be reported. And then there's also other places. If it's a social security imposter scam, you're supposed to report it to social security. If it's any other kind of scam, you're supposed to uh, send it to the Federal Trade Commission. If it's an internet scam, you're supposed to go to the FBI's Internet Crime Complaint Center. Who can keep all of that straight? So it's, it just gets really confusing. Um, and fortunately, we offer a, a helpline so that if you're not sure where to report, you're not sure what to do, you can call us and we can help you walk through that. Right. Great. Yeah. And, and we'll uh, come back to that later too. Uh, I'll give people that, that number and I'll have it on my website. So we'll, we'll get back to, you know, later in the show when we um, talk more about what we can do about it and what resources you have, we'll, we'll repeat some of that. But um, at this point, let, let, so let, you've mentioned a couple of these uh, scams. So um, just to, you know, to review some of them, um, some of them I, I've, you've mentioned to me before in our previous conversations, which, um, I was not aware of the prevalence of them. So you mentioned one, which is like romance scams. So t- tell people what that's about. Yeah, these are particularly tragic because it's not just financial, it's emotional. Mm-hmm. And, and what we see is uh, criminals will set up fake profiles. They can be on dating websites, um, but more often we're hearing that it's people that have joined um, an online group for a hobby that they love, or they're playing words with friends or Scrabble online, and they're in a community of people, or they're sitting look at their, looking at their feed on Facebook, and somebody will sort of sidle up to them and uh, seek to get to know them better. And it's all, it's all fallacy, but the person that's receiving this amazing interest from somebody um, doesn't understand that at all because of the way it comes up. It's just so, it seems so organic. And so, you know, the, the criminal will pretend to be someone, have fake photo, photos, um, you know, have a whole backstory on how they're living abroad. Maybe they're in the military or they're on business abroad, which is why you can't meet in person. But boy, I really, really like you and I'm getting to know you really well and this is fun. Um, so let's, let's go to another platform 
uh, Google Hangouts or whatever they call it now, and, mm -hmm. and we can talk more. And it begins this whole process of grooming that, that target to start giving that person money. And these can go on for weeks, months, years. Wow. And, and so when, when this finally collapses, um, uh, I guess that they, um, the, the scammer essentially is asking for money from people, you know, to help them out. Is that what happens at? Typically. Yeah. Well, it's always money. It's just a matter on, on, on what type. So what we see a lot of is the scammer saying, Hey, you know, I, I need to boost my, uh, my, internet or my cell service, wherever I am. And the best way I can do that is to get a gift card. So if you go down to the store, put $200 on a, a, a CBS card and read me the numbers off the back, then I can pay for it that way. And it's, you know, well, okay, that, that makes sense. And that's the way they start to receive the money. And there's always something else. Uh, and they quite often are able to, in some way, tell that victim, hey, look, I'm good for it. And when I'm back and when we're getting married, all this money's coming back to you. Here, look, look this is, here's my American bank account. It has $200,000 in it or a million dollars in it. And so it just becomes like, oh, yeah. And, and you don't think this person is a stranger. A lot of people are like, well, why are you giving money to a stranger? That's no stranger. You've fallen in love with this person. Hmm. Wow. Wow. That's... Well, wow, the vulnerability is just, you know, mind boggling. You know, it's, it's really uh, horrific. As you mentioned, the emotional toll, no matter what you think, it, it, it's there. And sometimes you just want to believe, I mean, that because that you've been involved with this person. So you're going to try to extend this as far as you can to until you're really slapped in the face. And, and it's um, so hard for people outside of it to try to get through to the person that's part of it because they're in this very heightened emotional state. And we can talk about that, but scammers know if they can get you into a, you know, fear or excitement or even that feeling of love, then we can't access our logical thinking very easily. And so right. as long as they can keep us up there, we're on the hook. Right. Right. So, Kath, I'd like to stay on that theme. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Um, when we come back, we're talking much more with Kathy Stokes um, about um, consumer fraud and what ARP is doing to counter it. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania, and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance at success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
You are listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking with Kathy Stokes, the Director of Fraud Prevention Programs with AARP. And before the break, we were talking about just the emotional component of, of these scams and how difficult it is to separate yourself and how vulnerable it makes you. So talk a bit more about that, Kathy, about what that involves. Especially when it comes to these long form scams, like an online romance scam where you're the, 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 um, the criminal is, is creating a relationship out of thin air uh, and they've got a playbook and they know what to do, what to say, how to move you down the path that they need you to move down to get money from you. Um, as they're doing that, this is their business. And by the way, it's not one guy. It's mm-hmm. like this guy named Tony that you met online is probably 12 people that are working around the clock trying to keep you engaged. These scammers will uh, reach out to their victims five, six, seven times a day. Just try to sort of just overwhelm them with with uh, with the relationship and so you're not just uh, fostering a, a fake relationship you're fostering true emotion from from the target they're believing this stuff and if they didn't they wouldn't they wouldn't be on the phone or on the on the chat hangout with you right right and then if if somebody in your family let's say kind of suspects something's going on and, and, and then asks the, the victim about it, the victim is going to double down and say, no, no, this is, you know, leave me alone. This is real. This is the person that I'm going to spend right. the rest of my life with. And there's really no getting past. It's really tough. I mean, it's really hard once you're in there. And then when it all comes to pass and the victim realizes that this was all fake, not only have they lost all of that money that they'll probably never going to get back, they gave their heart to somebody and they have a really hard time getting over that. They've just lost the, probably the most important seeming relationship in their lives. And it's so sad. Um, You know, families break up over this stuff. Um, You know, many, many victims of financial fraud, especially when there's this emotional component, die by suicide. It's just so impactful. So we've created a, a program that we're trying online to help people who have experienced the financial and emotional impact of this kind of fraud to sort of, um, I'd say, integrate the experience more to be able to just sort of go, okay, this happened. Uh, right. It didn't just happen to me. It happens to a lot of people. It's not my fault. I can move on emotionally. Right, right. It really is tough. Um just to in- inject a little bit of a personal experience in this, uh, I got you know caught in one of these. Uh, uh, I guess it was sort of a ransomware um, incident where I was um, just looking up some information on the internet, and then you know you, you click on some something and it sets off a siren, right? And then you um, you know, it says, you know, don't shut off your computer. You've been attacked. You know, if you do this, you're going to lose all your information. Just call this number. And so that kind of pressure tactic, you know, I was 
after the fact, I was like shocked that I fell for this, but I did. You, you panic, you're caught off guard. I think that's one thing you mentioned too. It's, it can happen to anyone because you can be caught off guard any particular day if something happens and you respond to something that perhaps you wouldn't normally, but it happens. And, you know, they, they, you, so I call this number, although it was, it was you know, in retrospect, like, why would you do that? Who, how would they happen to have that number there? Um, but you do. And the result was a guy came on and, and even if, uh, you know, you say, well, you know, okay, this, I hear sort of an Indian accent that seems he's saying he's from Microsoft, but I mean, Microsoft outsources stuff too. So you're not really sure. And before you know it, uh, you're caught in this thing. And these people are really skilled. They're really skilled. They're trained. They know how to engage your trust. And um, luckily I, I was able to get out of it and I, I froze my bank accounts and nothing happened, but boy, was, was I shaken, you know, and realizing I think I'm a pretty sophisticated guy and boy, I, I was uh, re really taken in. So it was really a cautionary tale. Well, Ron, I, I'm really sorry you experienced that, but really glad that you're sharing it because a lot of people will always say, well, that'll never happen to me. And you know what? We call that the tech support scam. Maybe the tech support scam won't happen to the person listening to this show and going, oh, that would never happen to me. But there's going to be something that will work. Um, and the scammers have so many um, elements to their playbook. But, it, but at the beginning, it's always about getting someone into that space in their head. Uh, scammers have always called it getting them under the ether. Because mm. um, when you're there in that heightened emotional state, like you, you were afraid. Like, oh, my gosh, what, what's happening? You can't access logical thinking unless you're able to pull back. And so few of us can because it's just not in our chemistry. So it's not about, like, I can't believe I fell for it. It's these criminals are sophisticated. And they know what they're doing. They know what buttons to push. And it's in their organized crime, by and large. This isn't like a single guy making one phone call after the next in his mom's basement, right? These are transnational criminal enterprises. They have money. They have uh, employees with lead lists and scripts. And they know how to get a target in that heightened emotional state like they did with you. It worked. Fortunately, you were able to take that step back, which is really hard to do. But it has nothing to do with education. It has nothing to do with sophistication. It has nothing to do with even being in law enforcement because we know of people in the criminal justice system who this has happened to. Mm -hmm. They're that good. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about some of the other scams that, that you've uh, mentioned before, uh, specifically the, the gift card scam, because that's, that's a big one. Yeah, so uh, I look at it more of a tactic across a lot of scams, mm -hmm. um, but in the scenario, um, and this started in 2018 and has only gotten worse since then based on data that we do have, and it's the uh, criminal's ability to convince the person that they have, uh, what, whatever the scam is, that the best resolution is to pay for whatever they have to pay for, whatever's made up, by going down to a store purchasing a specific type of gift card, whether right. it's, you know, the Visa Vanilla that you pay $4.99 for, or it's a store, um, a, a store one like uh, uh, eBay, right, or Target or Walmart, and then take it up to the front of the store, put $500 on it, and then flip that card over as soon as you're done there, 
and give me the number off the back of that card with a little activation pin, and I can then access those funds to take care of this. Right. And it seems like it makes sense in that moment. And they may even use terms like, well, it's a, it's a government voucher or it's an electronic, uh, electronic payment system, and really this is the best way to deal with XYZ problem. And we've seen it, I think, nearly 300 million or something like that just in 2021 alone of reported losses in this. And so we started a, a project two years ago to just make a campaign out of it, help people know that anytime somebody is directing you to pay for something by using a gift card and sharing the numbers off the back, 100% of the time it's a scam. Mm-hmm. It is never legal tender. It is not like sending money. It is not like wiring money. It is not like writing a check. No one is going to accept that as payment. So if someone's calling you and saying you owe back taxes, taxes in here, the IR, and he, this is the IRS and they're threatening arrest. And then they ask for a gift card. That's, that's the clue. If you already didn't know because you, you knew about the IRS scam, anytime they ask you for a gift card, you just know and just you know, disengage. Right. And there are some situations which, uh, you know, like the IRS or Social Security, they, they never call you, right? If they want to communicate with you, you get a letter from them. I wish we could say blanket. No, no federal agency is ever going to call you. And by and large, that's true. But if you have an existing um, connection with the Social Security Administration, let's say you're applying for a specific kind of benefit and you need to hear back from them, you might get a phone call, but you'd be expecting that. If you're in a situation with the IRS where you're currently dealing with a back taxes issue or something, yeah, they may call you. And if you haven't paid and that you've sent let and the and IRS has sent you letters and you haven't responded, eventually you're going to get a phone call. But not until you've gotten all of these letters that let you know what you need to be doing to address it. So almost never are you going to get a call. I would say never out of the blue are you going to get a call from a federal state or local agency saying there's a problem and you have to deal with it right away. Right. Right. Now there are other kinds of, uh, I guess more, um, conventional, not conventional, but, but there are scams that are, that are more pedestrian. So like, like check scams, right. When people go into your mailboxes, right. And, and they steal your checks, um, and they engage in check washing. Talk a bit, little bit about that, or, or I guess they call them uh, sometimes porch pirates. So there's a, a little bit of a difference there. Let's first talk about the checks. So okay. check washing and, uh, and writing the check out to oneself but for a different amount of money using the same uh, signature that's on the check. That was really common a long time ago. And I'm thinking 60s, 70s, 80s, I remember hearing, and there were movies about it and stories about it. And then it kind of went away. And then it came back in the last couple of years with a vengeance. Hmm. And I think what I'm understanding is that we're seeing um, street gangs get involved with this kind of fraud. And they'll go to a, a blue box, a mailbox, where people are dropping their mail and writing their checks to school tuition or whatever it is. They're breaking into those mailboxes, sometimes attacking the mail carrier themselves wow. and going through and pulling out any check that they find, literally using a process to take everything but the signature off, rewriting it out to somebody else for you know a fake account um, and whatever number 
whatever amount of money they want to write it for. And I guess the positive thing is that if this happens to you, um, you're not going to lose that money. Ultimately, it's the bank won't make you whole. But while you don't have that money, if that check went through, what are you going to do to pay your, your rent or your mortgage or buy food, you know? Um, and it's, I'm not entirely sure why it's so much more popular now other than, you know, when you start seeing crime gangs on the street getting involved in financial fraud, it's probably a pretty easy way to go. Mm. Wow. Then the porch pirates. Okay. This is more about when you receive a, a package, you know, UPS, Amazon Prime, FedEx, whatever, and someone runs up and takes that package and runs off with it. Um, we see that happening a lot over the holidays just because it's a, it's a crime of opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we give some suggestions for people, you know, if you can get that delivered to the FedEx or the UPS that's nearby, or if you use Amazon a lot and you have the opportunity to have it delivered to, they call them Amazon lockers, or if you have to have it delivered, you know, and you're not going to be home, have a friend keep an eye out or ask them to, you know, specifically like put it under the bush on the right or put it behind the, the gate, you know, to the left to try to make it less obvious. Um, because it, there, I just don't know that there's an end to that, you know, and the more we buy online and you know how that's trending upward, the more we see this happen. Right. Right. Um, now there are these, um, I guess we talked a little bit about them, these, I guess, so-called imposter scams, right? So you, people can be impersonating someone from an agency, the IRS or something. Uh, there are also these um, situations where uh, they're impersonating a relative, right? You're, uh, one of your children, this, this happened to a friend of mine. And once again, uh, it was really daunting because this person, um, was impersonating uh, her granddaughter and uh, or her daughter rather and um, uh, and was really good at it. They had enough information about this to really take them along quite a ways uh, until uh, the this this friend of mine asked uh, her supposed daughter, um, well, I guess the daughter said, I really need this money. I really need it, mom. And this, this friend of mine knew, of course, that her daughter would never say that. So, of course, she'd give her the money. So why would she be so, uh, so uh, frantic about it? Uh, and then she, it clicked. And she said to her, her this person, because um, she knew that her daughter had recently moved. She just said, so where did you move? Where, where do you live now? And, of course, the person didn't know. And they hung up. But these people are really good. <laughs> And it's surprising. Well, the amount of information that a criminal can glean off social media um, is incredible because we have this tendency to not know how to lock that information down because like nobody ever told us. We just started using Facebook one day. Right, so that's um, where people get it. They get it off social media. Yeah, lots, mm-hmm. a lot of social media. You'll find out names of family members, um, pets, um, if someone's going to be out of the country or whatever. So the more information that criminal can come in to what we call the grandparent scam, but it can be any relative of, you know, that fear putting the, you know, like grandma, I'm in big trouble. I, I had a DUI. I actually hit somebody by mistake. She's pregnant. I'm in big trouble. I need your help right now. Can you send $10,000? Mm-hmm. 
And the immediate reaction is, you know, grandma love, I'm going to take care of that. Uh, and, and, and it works. If it didn't work, we wouldn't hear about it. Right. Right. Wow. Okay. So uh, listen, we're going to, uh, once again, we're going to take another quick break, Kathy. Uh, but folks, uh, we, we have one more terrific segment coming up. Um, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with much more from Kathy Stokes, the Director of Fraud Prevention Programs with AARP. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Tune in to Melody Edmondson's The Space of the Waste radio program. This companion piece to her successful guidebook series, The Space of the Waste, focuses on body types and how to make your waist length flattering, no matter what your body type is. Guests include designers, merchandise managers, factory owners, and more. You'll also find out what accessories will complement your body shape and waist length. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking with Kathy Stokes, the Director of Fraud Prevention Programs with AARP. Uh, before the break, we were talking about uh, some of these scams uh, with uh, your supposed uh, daughter calling up a grandparent and being in urgent need of money for some dire situation and the difficulty of sometimes disengaging. And, and so what I was asking during the break of, of Kathy was to talk about how do you disengage, get off the phone, uh, what she refers to as a refusal script. If you, I always say, and this is such a terrible thing to have to say about the telephone, but don't pick up calls if you don't recognize for sure who's calling. Mm-hmm. But if you do, and on the other end is, is someone in a panic and heightened, you know, emotion, or is um, is saying something that's making you uncomfortable. Hang up the phone. And if you 
feel you cannot hang up the phone because that's really not a very civil thing and we don't want to do that it's against our nature a great thing to do is is write down a couple of sentences and keep it by your phone what is your refusal script what is it that you feel comfortable getting out of this conversation with i've done this with my mom she's 80 and um she she answers the phone she just that's just what she does and um, and, uh, you know, we've come to understand that there are some other ways that we, we can help her avoid these connections, but she has a refusal script that we put together and it says, I'm sorry, I'm actually having tea right now with officer Brady. So I can't talk. Thanks. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. So she feels okay because it's nice. Um, and she's saying she has a friend who's a police officer. So. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's great. Um, so I want to talk about a couple of other scams before we go into how we're trying to change the narrative and some of the solutions that you're doing with ARP. Um, so let's talk a bit about identity fraud, which is another one of these categories that's mushroomed. Yeah, identity fraud has gone up all over the country. Um, just it's in the stratosphere. And um, the reality is that there are so many ways for criminals to get our sensitive personal information these days. Anything from the data breach you've just heard about and gotten a letter about that says, hey, some of your data have been stolen, that's identity theft. When somebody takes that information and uses it, say, to take over an account of yours or to open up a new account, that's identity fraud. And it has just um, exploded. So whether it's the data breach, whether it is we have weak passwords and somebody was able to hack into it, or whether it's dumpster divers, there are still people that go out and steal things from people's mailboxes, go through their trash, looking to take that ripped up uh, line of credit letter, put it back together. So these are the things that put us at risk, but there are also things that we can do to protect ourselves and among the first things is we got to get a handle on these passwords. Mm. You know, it's, it's not the fault of anybody that this is how we've come to be in this society, that if we have 27 accounts, we need 27 strong and unique passwords, but that's what we have to do. It has to be hard for a criminal to crack. And if they crack it and it's the same one or a similar one that you've used on your other financial accounts, forget about it. You know, that money's gone. So we need to do better with passwords until there's a time when we don't use them anymore. And I see that time coming someday. But for now, if you, if you can use a password manager, it's an app um, that helps you uh, set up really strong individual passwords for each account, do that. Um, and then the other thing is freezing your credit. If you're at a time in your life where you're not going to be taking a loan out or you're not going to be buying a house or a car or whatever, freeze your credit with the credit reporting agencies because that makes it nearly impossible, I would say, for anybody to try to open an account in your name. There's just no access to it. You can go to annualcreditreport.com to learn about that. And also while you're there, you can get your credit report from Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax, um, one from each of them every year for free. And currently they're for free online on a weekly basis. They haven't they started that during COVID and I don't believe they've pulled that back yet. So it's always great to take a look at the report and see if someone's trying to open uh, credit on your account that you're not aware of. And then the third thing, which seems completely antithetical, but set up online account access to your financial accounts. 
a lot of people don't do that because they're like, well, if I'm online, someone's going to crack it and, you know, it's going to be a risk. If you don't have that online access to your financial accounts, a criminal can set that up in your name or in their name. They can take over your your identity and mm. set up those set, set up that account connection themselves and wipe you out. And the other thing is if you have online access, whether it's a website or it's a, an app, you can go in and set up um, uh, set up um, things that would remind you, like, you know, if, if somebody is, if there's a transaction against that credit card, let's say, you can get a text or an email that says there is this transaction. Is it you? You know, you can go in and you can check your accounts anytime you want instead of waiting for that monthly or that quarterly statement to come in the mail. Yeah. Very good advice. Yeah. I think that, uh, you know, I remember years ago, um, someone advised me on a regular basis, like, like once a year, you know, check your credit report. But generally for things that are, gen, you know, mistakes, you know, or sometimes people inadvertently charge you or you, you or somebody or, or you were at um, an argument with a creditor uh, and then they put a, you know, a mark in your account. So you, you would find out when you applied for a loan, all of a sudden this stuff was in your credit card. So the, uh, so that's what we should do anyway. But now with the scams and frauds, it's even more important to do so. Even if you just want to do something short of a, a credit freeze, you can do um, uh, just a, a fraud um, alert. You put it mm -hmm. on one of your accounts and the other two agencies will follow. And it simply says, before you accept me taking a loan out, <laughs> make sure it's me, mm -hmm. call me or, you know, contact me in this way, um, which is just a further protection. It's not as strong as a, as a credit freeze, but it's easier to do. And um, it works pretty well. Yeah. There have been times when uh, we've gotten alerts on one of our credit cards uh, in our family. And at first your, your kind of reaction is, well, yeah, okay. Yes. I did, you know, pay for that meal here, but in, in the, the greater scheme of things, better to have that alert. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. So in the last uh, few minutes we have, Kath, let's talk a little bit more about um, just the, the, what we started talking about at the beginning, which is the changing the narrative and what you folks are doing uh, in terms of, uh, you know, support, but also, you know, working some of the work that ARP is doing with other organizations, agencies, and so forth to really uh, change some fundamental things about uh, victim blaming. Well, I'm really glad you brought that up because several years ago, um, when I kind of came into this space, I had the benefit of having someone as a colleague who's been in this space for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And she's run whatever form of helpline we have now for 20 years. It's been through different iterations. But she has said since the first call to now, and last year we had 97,000 calls about wow. scams and victimization. People blame themselves and we blame them in, in, the, in the language that we use. And we got really intrigued with, okay, if this is happening and we think it is, let's, let's see, are we doing it? And if we are, why are we doing it? And if we are, what can we do to change that? And what could that produce? So we went deep with this with the Finner Investor Education Foundation and a, a consulting organization called Heart and Mind Strategies. We just um, put a paper out in July called Blame and Shame in the Context of Financial Fraud. Hmm. Basically to say, yep, we use language that blames people. They were duped. They were swindled. Um, you know, they were scammed. We're not saying a criminal stole their money. 
We're not even talking about the criminal. We're just saying she was scammed or she was bilked. And that has a lot of, um, of cultural baggage that goes with it. It serves to, um, as a society, to deprioritize this as the crime that it is to the point that, you know, police may not realize it's a crime and not even take the case um, to the point that prosecutors think that these are dog cases and they don't want to put them in front of juries to the point that people don't want to report because they're embarrassed. Mm -hmm. um, and so we don't really know what's out there. So we think that changing how we talk about victims by not blaming them essentially with the words that we use that we're just used to using, we don't mean it necessarily. But if we can be more thoughtful about the words that we use, then we'll start thinking about fraud differently. And we will allow it to take its place in criminal justice as the crime that it is and put effort behind putting an end to this multi-billion dollar industry. Mm -hmm. And what about you? I know you're also dealing with law enforcement too, because I can see that this is a problem sometimes because it, it doesn't, it's not, I guess, twofold. One is in many cases, there are really a lot of, you know, thousands of small crimes. So when you have people going, uh, law enforcement going after these things, it's like, well, this, I'm really sorry, it's not big enough. Um, so first yeah. of all, is sort of recognizing this as an organized crime endeavor, um, and and then also you've mentioned before, there are difficulties in figuring out how, how to what where these crimes fall under and how to enforce them because they go across jurisdictions, across countries, and so forth. So where are we with that? Well, here's what I understand. Um, so a local police will if they if they um, take a, a case and somebody's lost fifty thousand dollars in a grandparent scam. The likelihood of them doing anything with it is low because the assumption is these are overseas criminals would never catch them anyway. But the reality is you don't know what an investigation will turn up until you begin an investigation. So we have to sort of stop just making this assumption like it's out of our control. Mm -hmm. And from the uh, federal um, uh, law enforcement perspective, you know, the FBI goes after drugs and, and, um, you know, human trafficking and these things as organized crime. And so they can get a case out of Dubuque and go, oh, but you know what? Let me put it through this database and see if this is showing up anywhere else. We're not doing that right now. Uh, the FBI is not doing that. They're looking at it still, as I understand it, as individual con artists, individual scammers, you know, uh, stealing 10,000 here and 10,000 there. If they're able to look at the entire universe of our country and, and, and check fat, uh, and associate fact patterns together, this becomes a big organized crime ring that they should be going after. So the things that we're trying to do is getting, get in front of these audiences to help them understand what we're trying um, for people to understand and that we, we can go after this. I, you know, I can't say that we're gonna 100% solve consumer fraud in our lifetimes, but we got to do something more than we're doing. Right. Right. Yeah, I, I think absolutely. Um, and it, it requires an effort on, on many parts, you know, uh, you know, there, there are, uh, and, and you, I, there was a recent article in the AARP bulletin about um, scams in which they featured a couple of sort of independent uh, passion folks who, uh, who put up YouTube, uh, you know, cases of, of how they've uh, helped um, combat crime, 
combat these uh, scams. And you can see that it's a, it's a coordinated effort. They, they, they do talk with law enforcement. Um, they do try to, to create these stings. They're, they're aware of what organizations like ARP are doing. So it's a really coordinated effort that we have to really keep going and recognize it's not going to be just one solution because there are some structural problems like, like law enforcement we have to deal with. So sometimes you're not even yeah. sure what crime it is that, that you can prosecute. Right. So I, the, the issue that we found in our paper is that there are sort of three levels. There's the individual level where we're blaming ourselves as victims, our families, our friends are blaming us with the words they use, even though that's not the intent necessarily. We've got the institutional with law enforcement not focusing on it the way we need them to. Um, banks, financial institutions, maybe not handling things in a similar way across, you know, that threshold. And then societal, you know, um, we tend to um, put out there that victims are all older people who are um, experiencing cognitive decline and we're giving it a pass. It's right. only happened to older people. We don't have to worry about that. We've got to change that. Right. That's great. Well, uh, it's been a fascinating discussion. Um, unfortunately, that's all to have the time we have today, but I wanted to just thank you, Kathy, so much for coming on board and, and providing us with this important uh, information. Um, so if, if people, folks, if you miss our conversation with Kathy today, just know that you can listen to it as a podcast on voiceamerica.com or go to my show, uh, 45 Forward. Um, uh, go, go to my show uh, on uh, robellresources.com and click on the 45 Forward tab and you can find Kathy. And I'm going to put some information on there so you know that where you can click on uh, the ARP website and find some some uh, links where you can get resources about events that our ARP is doing or podcasts that they're having and so forth, because they do a lot of great stuff. Um, and Kathy, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? We have a, an, an email inbox that it stands for Fraud Watch Network, FWN at mm -hmm. AARP.org. You can reach me that way. Great. Okay. So folks, uh, be sure to join me next Monday, 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern time, when I'll be talking with Scott Fulton, who's a longevity expert. I'm starting an a, a interesting series with Scott called Best Before Date, which starts with how we can extend the longevity of various of our assets, like our homes. Uh, and so that will be next week. Uh, but until then, folks, keep moving forward, 45 forward. Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Roel, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.